Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the TR90 Body Burn 30 support call. This call happens at this time, which for me is 6.40 Pacific Time, 7.40 Mountain Time, 8.40 Central Time, and 9.40 Eastern Time. Thrilled to have you along with us. If you ever miss these calls, you can pick them up on an application called SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcast through if by putting in Frank, F-R-A-N-K, Lomas, L-O-M-A-S, and either TR90 or Solutions to Digital War Anti-Aging. These calls are archived back 11 plus years, and there's just a wealth of information available. If you're listening to this and it's a podcast and you wish to catch us live, dial in to 712-775-8972. And when it asks for the code, put in 910022 to join us live. We would welcome you with open arms because we're just thrilled to have people and we want to help people with their TR90 program. So that TR90 program, when you're first starting out, is your good clean, lean meal a day. Two shakes a day, three snacks a day, 30 grams of protein at at least three of those meals. Um, that protein helps um, build up muscle mass, which actually helps burn fat, so that's really important. Taking your supplements 15 to 20 minutes before a meal, if it's possible. If it's not, take them with your meal. Still work. Um, it's just not quite as effective as it would be if you could have it on board in your system beforehand. Drinking plenty of fluid to stay hydrated. The best fluid to be drinking is water. should be drinking at least one ounce for every two pounds you weigh. So if you weigh 100 pounds, your minimum of fluid per day should be 50 ounces. Realize that if you are working out heavily or you're in a humid area, you'll need to increase that um, to offset what you're losing in body moisture. And like I said, water is your best choice. If you select some other choices like juice and some of that, that um, you need to offset the extra calories or the caffeine or whatever else that may be uh, your fluid. Seven to nine hours of good quality sleep a night. That really helps set you up because your body does a lot of what I call system resets while you're sleeping. Stores memories, stores muscle memories, stores, uh, clears out toxins. It does a multitude of things. But it also clears your mind out so that you can actually make really good decisions the next day. And so in a lot of ways, I'd like to put sleep first because then I know that everything else I can help make better decisions if I've got really good sleep. I'm not working on a sleep deficit, which can be like drinking alcohol. So. We keep that in mind. Seven plus servings of fruits and vegetables every single day. Those fruits and vegetables will give you macronutrients. They'll give you micronutrients, and they'll give you fiber. I should be getting about 45 grams of fiber daily. Ladies, we need to be getting about 32 grams of fiber daily. That um, fiber really is, helps your digestive health for your digestive system. So again, it's really important. It helps clear a lot of things out of your system that shouldn't be there and shouldn't be hanging around too long. 30 minutes of moderate to heavy exercise at least five days a week. 
That moderate to heavy exercise can be whatever you want it to be. I like to mix it up between um, balance and aerobic just because I want to keep a good balance going forward as far as um, to avoid falls and stuff as I get older. So there is that. I think I covered everything that is on our list. So today I'm sharing some additional information out of a book called Fat Chance, Beating the Odds Against Sugar, Processed Food, Obesity, and Disease. It was written by Robert H. Lustig, MD, MSL. And yesterday we talked about fructose and ethanol. Well, today we're going to be um, talking about fructose versus ethanol, pick your poison, because for some reason this is... This is the thing that seems to really help settle in metabolic syndrome, which many of us have and we need to get out of. So studies of alcohol show, use, show that a little bit is good for you. Alcohol raises HDL, or the good cholesterol, and red wine has compound reversitrol, which is thought to improve insulin insensitivity and longevity. As with alcohol, a small dose of fructose has been shown in some studies to be have that beneficial effect on insulin secretion. The toxic effects of fructose, just like those of alcohol, are dose dependent. For alcohol, we have, an, have empirical evidence that in most people, the maximum dose of 50 grams per day, or about three glasses of wine, is the threshold for toxicity. This is likely the threshold for fructose as well, slightly less than a quart of orange juice. The problem is that the current average adult fructose consumption is 51 grams per day, which means that more than half of the population is over the threshold. When you look at chronic alcoholics versus those consuming massive amounts of sugar, they often appear very different, at least from the outside. Many alcoholics are thin. It's puffy compared to those consuming massive amounts of sugar. But remember, we're not concerned with the spontaneous fat. It's the visceral fat, the fat that surrounds your organs and often remains invisible to the naked eye that's going to kill you. Both alcohol and sugar significantly increase your visceral fat and your likelihood of developing associated diseases. The difference between the alcoholic fatty liver disease and the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease lies only in the terminology. The effect on the body is the same. Of course, the major difference between alcohol and sugar is alcohol's intoxicating effect. The brain does not metabolize fructose. People don't get arrested for driving under the influence of sugar, but the liver's metabolism of fructose is remarkably similar to that of ethanol. Fructose isn't the only cause of obesity, but is the primary cause of chronic metabolic disease, which kills slowly. Fructose can fry your liver, cause all the same diseases as does alcohol. 
We know we must limit our ethanol consumption or face the consequences. But, al- but sugar flies under the radar. No wonder Saudi Arabia and Malaysia have the highest rates of type 2 diabetes on the planet. No alcohol, but they're drinking soft drinks like they're going out of style. And according to the International Diabetes Foundation, the global diabetes pandemic currently claims about 366 million, that's with an M, people that that, uh, prevalence rate of 5.5% of the world's population. And they're breaking the bank on health care worldwide. While it would be easy to lay blame on the fast food industry, these outlets continue to propagate throughout worldwide. Lots of countries whose populations do not overindulge in McDonald's are also experiencing rates in obesity and diabetes. What's changed in the food globally? My colleague, Sanjay, Basu and I are attempting to answer that question by looking at food supply data worldwide. The Food and Agriculture Association, or the FAO, monitors the world's food supply. FAO keeps close tabs on food supply data, broken up by type of food staff. We link the FAO food supply database with the IDF prevalence database with the World Bank Growth National Income Database no control for, uh, to control for poverty. We are currently performing an epidemiological analysis for 154 countries around the world known as an ecological analysis between the years 2000 and 2010. We asked two questions. Does the increase in caloric intake per capita correlate with the increase in diabetes prevalence? And if so, is there any aspect of the diet that explains this relationship? In the time period we studied, diabetes prevalence worldwide rose from 5.5% to 7%. Surprisingly, total calories did not correlate with diabetes prevalence worldwide. Instead, the correlation with the percentage of calories coming from sugar and sugar crops was enormous. For every 100 calories supplied as sugar, the prevalence of diabetes rose by 0.9%. Even after controlling for obesity in each country, the amount of sugar availability explains more than one-fourth of the increase in diabetes prevalence rates worldwide during the last decade, even after controlling for aging and obesity in the population. And those few countries whose consumption went down experienced a reduction in diabetes prevalence of 0.18%. This is not correlation, but rather causation. If you'd had any residual doubt about calorie is not a calorie, this analysis should remove it. Every additional 150 total calories per person 
per day barely raises diabetes prevalence. But if those 150 calories were instead from a can of soda, increase in diabetes prevalence rose sevenfold. Sugar is more dangerous than its calories. Sugar is a toxin, plain and simple. <clears throat> there are clear limitations to doing this kind of analysis. First, food supply does not automatically mean consumption. However, in most parts of the world, the two are closely aligned. Only in the United States do we throw away significant amounts of food, up to 30% of what we produce. Second, populations are diverse in social economic status, vulnerability, and food preference. So what you learn from a population may not immediately be immediately ascribable to one individual. Third, estimating diabetes prevalence is always difficult. Different countries use different criteria for diagnosis. Many people go undiagnosed, and the, IDR, uh, the IDF pulls people with type 1 and type 2. Nonetheless, the robustness of the effect is undeniable. The global industrial diet that reveals rebels in sugar consumption clearly negatively affects the meta metabolic health of entire countries unrelated to obesity. So now you're thinking diabetes, liver dysfunction, cancer, dementia, and aging. It can't get any worse, could it? Oh, but it can. Not only does fructose turn your liver to fat and your proteins brown, but it tells your brain that you need more of it and more. Remember the starvation pathway and the reward pathway? Similar to the effects of alcoholism, fructose stimulates excessive and continued consumption by tricking your brain into wanting more. For Gabriel, one glass of juice was, just wasn't enough. Recall the lessons of leptin. Anything that blocks leptin signaling will be read as starvation at the hypothalamus and as a lack of reward by the nucleus actigens, both of which drive long-term food intake. And anything that alters that meal-to-meal -meal hunger and satiety signals will drive short-term food intake. Whether you don't feel full, you consume more. Fructose does them all. One, the consumption of fructose does not stimulate an insulin response so leptin doesn't rise and the animal keeps eating or drinking soda, as the case may be. Two, long-term fructose consumption generates liver insulin resistance and causes chronic hyperinsulinemia, excessive high blood insulin, which interferes with leptin signaling and promotes further food intake by preventing dopamine clearance from the NA. Three, ghrelin, a peptide produced by cells in the stomach, is the hunger signal in humans. In humans, ghrelin levels rise with increased subjective hunger and peak at the time of 
voluntary food consumption, which is why your stomach grumbles at noon, and decrease after a meal. However, fructose intake does not decrease swelling. Therefore, caloric intake is not suppressed. Indeed, fructose consumption in the form of a big gulp does not reduce the volume of solid food needed to feel satiated, multiplying the total calories. So why do we have this fascination with sugar in the first place? Why does sugar make us want more? What's the selective advantage? We saw that insulin blocks leptin signaling to promote leptin resistance in order to allow weight gain associated with puberty and pregnancy and to allow pregnancy to occur. We saw sugar stimulates the brain, dopamine, and opiate points in to let us know what foods are safe. But why should sugar cause insulin resistance and insulinemia? Naturally occurring sugar in fruit is what makes fruit palatable. But for our ancestors, fruit was readily available one month per year, called harvest time. But when then came four months of winter and no food at all, we needed to stock up to increase our adiposity in preparation for the four months of famine. In other words, in doses that were available to our forebears, sugar was evolutionally adaptive. Indeed, fruit binges among orangutans in Indonesia are responsible for their altered energy intake and changes in weight. For their normal diet, they consume 27% of their calories as fruit, as opposed to when the fruit is plentiful during a binge, at which point that figure rises to 100%. This results in high insulin, drives energy storage, and cyclic adiposity. But with our current global sugar glut, devoid of fiber and high, in high doses, 24-7-365, our weight gain is not cyclical anymore, and this process has become maladaptive. Face it, we've been fruit. Still, while sugar is the biggest perpetrator of our current national, our current health crisis, it is by no means the only bad guy. There are antidotes, quote unquote, to the fructose effect, but they have been removed from our environment as well. And the rest of part four will lay bare the rest of our toxic environment. So, um, on Thursday, we'll be getting into fiber, which is one of the things I've been talking to you about at the top of these calls. You can pick these, uh, if you scoot over to Facebook, One Team Global Live in about a minute, you will be able to catch one of our leaders sharing some information on how to build a new skin business. We'll have Frank back tomorrow. This is Susan Mann for January 31st, 2023, signing out. I want to wish you a great day and welcome any thoughts or comments you have. So I ran a little bit long because I wanted to make sure I got through everything in the fructose part.
well, stay safe and warm out there, friends, because I've noticed that clear across the country, we're going to be experiencing a lot of really chilly weather and down in the Texas and the southern part of the United States, they're going to be getting a lot of ice. And so it may be affecting power supplies. Take care, one and all, and hope to see you back here with Frank tomorrow. <laughs>